What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is Friday, August 13th right now, and I know you're all a little disappointed in us because mm-hmm. we were supposed to have an episode out yesterday, and we didn't put one out. Sorry well, yesterday that. at time of recording, not yesterday when you're listening to this. <laughs> but I was on vacation, and I decided to have it be a true vacation, and not do any podcast stuff or anything like that. So sorry to let you down, but I feel refreshed now and ready to chat about murder. And I'm sure everyone is extra eager now they've had an extra week off. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it is super friggin' hot here in New York. I turned off my air conditioner to record and I'm already sweating. So just know while you're listening to this, I am very sweaty. And Olivia, it winter for you winter but the days have been getting warmer like you can tell spring is coming which is nice but it's still only not even 8 30 in the morning here so it's still quite fresh yeah <laughs> yesterday mm-hmm. the heat index here like what it really felt like because the humidity it was 105 degrees and i was like mm-hmm. i fucking hate my life oh living the dream i can't wait yeah. for some warm weather <laughs> <laughs> i hate it but yeah that's really all that i have to say about my life and not crime related stuff pretty boring otherwise but um we did have a few big page posts on our facebook today so you should definitely well not today the last few days so you guys should go check them out if you haven't but i'm sure you've already seen them because you're all very loyal um (laughs) one is about matthew coleman who um brutally murdered his two little kids the is from California, brought them over the border to Mexico and killed them with a spear fishing gun, which is incredibly gory and horrific. I think this is one that people are into because they seemed like the perfect family. They owned a surf um, lesson school in Santa Barbara, had two beautiful little kids. You know, his whole social media was about God and loving his family and all that. And then apparently he snapped and killed them because they, oh, I can't even speak, he thought they had serpent DNA that they got from his wife. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Like sometimes it's just a story that's just unbe- – like this is just an unbelievable story. It doesn't seem like it could really happen. Yeah, a lot of Chris Watts comparisons, which it's also the <laughs> anniversary of. Oh, yeah, I forgot I'll have to make a post about that after this. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's it's crazy. And, like, I don't know what it is. Maybe we're just not shadow banned on Facebook for once. But I, see, I think I said to you, in the last six days, we've probably had almost 5 million people reached from these true crime posts that we've been making. So it's it's pretty wild when you think about it like that, how into it everyone is at the moment. Yeah. I think it's just, like, just the headline of that is so, like, Matthew. wait, what? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's been a few what ones this week. Like, there's been two cases where um, adults have been killed by their own, like, toddler children with guns because the guns were left unsecured and people go crazy for those ones. But yeah, um, people love a, a gun debate, unfortunately. <laughs> and for some reason, it's still the case that Facebook doesn't care what people write on pages, they let them go for their lives and, you know. That's crazy. It is the Wild uh, West. <laughs> if if anyone said any of that stuff, like that they're saying on the page in our Facebook group, it'd be deleted by now. It makes no sense. The whole group would be deleted. Not even just the yeah. post. The whole group would be shut down. And our our Facebook profiles, we'd be banned. <laughs> I don't. It makes no sense. But 
I did see one handy Facebook group feature that they've added now is that in our true crime group, we can now give people badges like expectant parent. <laughs> wow, this is really relevant to us. <laughs> yeah. And like some, I noticed it in some of like my local, just like town groups where it's supposed to be like parents of this town. I don't know how I'm in it because I'm not a parent, but I snuck my way in <laughs> just to see what they're gossiping about. And like some of them will be like, Middle school aged kids as their badge, like high school aged kids as their badge. I don't even know why that's something that you'd want to advertise. Like, surely it's not something that needs to go on social media. The ages of your children and how many children you have and things like that. Yeah, I'm going to put a badge that's like high school aged kids. (laughs) (laughs) And then there was also that crazy mass shooting in the UK, which, you know, that hardly ever happens there. So it was a big deal as well. I know. It's sad that. As an American, I was like, meh. Like I said to you, it seems like it's been a while since there's been an actual mass shooting that we've heard about. I'm sure it has happened and we just haven't heard about it. Well, right before we started recording, I got a news alert that there was just a school shooting in Albuquerque. Um, But it's like just happening now. But I think it was only one person, but it was like a middle school. Mm, That's scary. Um. I guess that we could get into some updates. Yep. Got a big update today, really. So if you guys remember, we did a podcast about Suzanne Morphew and Jennifer Dulos a couple months ago. I'll Once this episode comes out, I'll like link it on our Instagram or something. So if you guys haven't listened to the episode, you could go listen to it and get caught up on this case because it is um, in court right now so there's going to be some updates and so far it's been pretty interesting there's a lot of stuff coming out that we haven't heard about yet getting juicy turns or juicy yeah 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 so very interesting so if you guys don't remember suzanne morphew went missing may of last year from colorado she like went out to ride her bike or something allegedly they found her bike still haven't found her or anything but um the husband gave off a lot of red flags, as usual. It's always the husband, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone pretty much thought it was him all along, and he was arrested, even though her body has, still has not been found. So um, this is what's been happening so far. So he had a preliminary hearing, um, and it ran for two days, and it will continue for another two days at the end of the month. I, find that weird. I don't know why they break, break it up like that. Maybe they... I don't need know, a break court schedule or something but it's weird to me that, that happens at the start of august and then again at the end you think that they would just get in and get it done uh, they but, have to think think about it yeah, in between <laughs> yeah um so we'll just go over some of the more interesting highlights because otherwise we'll There's be here all day yeah so the couple's two teenage daughters they attended the hearing um on day one of the hearing the first witness called was chafee county sheriff's office commander yeah i think so Chafee, what the fuck? Chafee County Sheriff's Office Commander Alexander Walker, and he said that Suzanne was reported missing by a neighbor on May 10th, 2020, at 5.38 p.m. He tried to get in touch with Barry, but he couldn't reach him at that time. But he did manage to get a hold of one of the more few children, and she told him that she hadn't received a response to the Mother's Day text that she had sent her mother, because that was Mother's Day that year. Eventually, they were able to reach Barry at 7.10 p.m. that night. So Suzanne's bike was found on the side of the road on May 10th with no damage or any signs of, like, a struggle near it. You know, like, no drag marks, no, I don't know, distress. It didn't seem like it was a struggle. 
Yeah, I read there was no blood or anything like that found nearby. That, that would make sense. <laughs> I don't know mm. why I didn't think of that. <laughs> so the court was also shown the body camera f- footage of officers speaking with Barry. He was upset and he described how Suzanne bikes every day. He said that he left her work at 5 a.m. when she was still sleeping. He also was heard asking deputies if they'd seen any cats in the area. And people suspect he's referring to mountain lions, which I think is kind of a red flag because it's like that's your first. Sitting up a little bit of an alibi or a little bit of a, you know, reason why she might not have come back. And it's so random. I mean, are they, like, are mountain lions really like a thing? Maybe in Colorado. Like, I know they... They're very rare around here, but apparently there might be some mountain lions in New York. But I don't know. But the deputy said that there has not been any cats in the area recently. So then Walker said that the last activity on Suzanne's phone was 4.23 a.m. on May 10th, 2020. Her phone pinged from a cell tower in Pontius Springs, which is about 10 miles east of Maysville. Um, Barry spoke with police again on May 11th, so the next day. He said the couple had a great day and evening on May 9th. He called Suzanne his angel, and he said that they, quote, love each other to death. He called the relationship, quote, very good, and that they had been together for 32 years since they were 17 years old. Walker said that the arrest affidavit for Barry is 129 pages long. I'd love to read it, but it's still sealed. I know they, they talk about little bits of it in this hearing, but... Yeah, a lot of the information in this is still sealed, which is a shame for us. Yeah, it's very, very long. Mm, um, I know. They're usually not that Like long. a page or something, or maybe four pages or something. But yeah, 129 pages. Barry was cooperative when his house became a crime scene and his truck was picked up. He mentioned to deputies that Suzanne had been cleaning, of course, <laughs> because the daughter's friend was visiting. Suzanne had changed the bed sheets for the friend. Just had to put that out there. Yeah, just as another setting up a little story. Not suspicious at all. <laughs> um, Alexander Walker also confirmed that none of Suzanne's blood was ever found in her home following her disappearance. And also confirmed that Suzanne got a spy pen because she suspected that Barry was having an affair. He said there was no evidence of that. It's said that in some of the spy pen footage, you could hear her and Barry arguing about money. She was heard accusing him of telling her what she can do and what she can wear. I was just I think it's interesting that they like, were able to discover that she had a spy pen. Like maybe they saw it in like her Amazon purchases or something and then went and looked for it. But it's like, how would you even find that? Yeah, I'd like to know. I was just going to say that she put the pen in his car. So I think that's where they were obviously arguing about it. But, yeah, I would love to know more about that and see any footage or hear the footage. Nope. Got to respect it. Guess what I'm going to hide in the car. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those things you always think about doing, but you're like, no, 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 I'm not crazy. <laughs> when asked, he confirmed that Susan had been having apparently a two-year affair with a man named Jeff Libler. Suzanne originally met Jeff when they went to high school together, and they hooked up at a party in 1989. They both went their separate ways and married other people, and we have seen that Jeff has, like, six children, we think, and he reconnected with Suzanne after 20 years. I know that Jeff did have a wife. I don't know if they're still together after all this. Um, Her social media was up when this all came out, but it's now obviously been taken down. Well, I feel. I was saying I feel sorry for his family. Like I hope they knew before it all came out. I'm sure they probably did, but 
Um, yeah. yeah he ha- it seems like he has a really big family, so they're all obviously going to be affected by this. Yeah, I know. I said to you, like, probably you never want to get caught having an affair, but well, the no. worst way to probably get caught <laughs> is when it becomes part of, like, a huge <laughs> national news missing woman like, and now you've got to fiasco. play it out in front of everyone rather than just keeping it in your family. Everyone knows about yeah. it. Like everyone in their town would know about it. And ugh. Yeah, definitely sucks yeah. for the family. Yeah. Um, so authorities didn't learn about the affair until November 2020, which is six months after she went missing. There were hundreds of hours of phone calls, WhatsApp messages, and other communication between the two of them. Um, they met up at least six times in New Orleans, Michigan, Texas, and Indiana. She didn't tell anybody about him, and he didn't voluntarily come forward to help find Suzanne. And law enforcement first spoke with Jeff on November 13, 2020. He told police that Suzanne's marriage was not good. The couple argued a lot, he said, and she repeatedly said she wanted to leave. However, she also said she couldn't divorce Barry for biblical reasons. On May 8th, 2020, Jeff messaged Suzanne saying, you need to be my wife, and complimented her biking gear. Following morning, May 9th, she texted him saying, we need to be husband and wife. Very romantic. So cringy. Like, imagine just having all your personal stuff. I know. Imagine if, like, and I know we've said it, you know, it obviously affects his family, but even for her kids, like, you just feel like, oh, what is going on here? So part of Barry's arrest affidavit was read out during the hearing, and it's alleged that from... 2.47 p.m. on May 9th until 5.37 a.m. on May 10th, he took steps to dispose of evidence of Suzanne's disappearance and death. Alexander Walker asked Barry during their May 11th interview about where he kept his guns. Walker said Barry told him they were in a safe, but Walker found a gun in a closet and a shotgun against a wall in the home. Seems Um, very safe and secure. Going to start another gun debate. (laughs) Special Agent Harris was also questioned. He said that at one time, Barry put a gun to Suzanne's head and asked, is this what you want? He had also pinned her to the bed before. She said she'd call police. Suzanne wanted to leave the marriage in 2019 and 2020, but also wanted to wait until their youngest daughter was out of the house. Like, I wonder how they figured, find that stuff out, because, like, who told them that? Yeah, maybe. I know that there was some, like, evidence or testimony from Suzanne's friends, so maybe that was something that came from them. Yeah, I just feel like if one of my friends was like, well, you know, my husband, boyfriend put a gun to my head, I'd be like, um, what? Well, maybe you should, yeah. yeah. I'd like call 911 for them. <laughs> so on day two, Jonathan Grusing, a retired FBI agent, testified about the movement of Barry Morphew's cell phone and truck on May 9th and 10th. And here are the police coming. Yeah, I could hear. <laughs> just some, <laughs> some ambiance for a true crime podcast. <laughs> In the early morning hours of May 10th, a few hours before Barry left for work in Broomsfield, around 5 a.m., his truck doors opened and closed between 3.25 a.m. and 3.51 a.m., signifying someone was in the truck. Just side note, like, this ties into, like, the rest of the podcast since we're talking about an older case. Isn't it crazy how, like, in the 90s, you can't even get fucking video footage of anything, and now they're like, well, his truck doors opened at this time (laughs) in this time. can't get get away with anything now it's so much harder these days to get away with anything yeah so around the same time his phone's location moved to near where his wife's bicycle would later be found um so grusing also said that this area didn't have really good service so even though the information they had it um wasn't totally it was inconclusive because of the bad service couldn't be certain 
Um, so Suzanne's phone, which has still not been found, last pinged at 4.23. And Barry's phone went into airplane mode around 4.31 a.m. Suspish. Yeah, he seems to go into airplane mode a lot when they go through the testimony. So he obviously knew something was going on. Yeah, for sure. And then, so after he put it in airplane mode at 4.31, it pinged again just after 5.30, which I'm assuming that means he took it out of airplane mode. Um, from there, he was turning at Buena Vista as he headed toward Broomsfield. He would text his mother a Happy Mother's Day message a minute later, just before 7 a.m. He texted Suzanne to ask if she was awake yet. Happy Mother's Day. I love you, he said. Um, you know, gotta text your mom while you're <laughs> hiding your wife's body. <laughs> Grusing said the data from the phone and truck along with surveillance video showed Barry going on five trash runs in the Broomsfield area that day. Yeah. He's throwing things away at an RTD bus stop, a hotel where he checked in, a McDonald's, a men's warehouse, and in another trash can near the Holiday Inn that he'd checked into. So Barry gave conflicting stories to investigators about what he was throwing away. At the men's warehouse, he spent 40 minutes in the parking lot. Testimony also showed that Tuesday that Barry did not leave his Broomsfield hotel room between 12.42 and 5 p.m., that day. Despite telling a neighbor when they talked around 5.15 on May 10th that he was at a job site working. Suzanne sent the last known photo of her alive to Jeff at 2.03 p.m. on Saturday, May 9th. When investigators talked to Barry about the photo, he told them that Suzanne appeared to be drunk. Suzanne was sending sunbathing photos of herself to Jeff right when Barry got home around 2.44 on May 9th. His phone ping appeared to show him running around the house. Um, and he told investigators into February of this year he was shooting chipmunks at the time, though his phone went into airplane mode about three minutes after his arrival, when, while Suzanne's phone was still receiving texts from Jeff. The affidavit states that there is an opinion that Barry was most likely chasing Suzanne around when he got it's, home. It's weird, because when I was reading more about that, it said, like, there was one thing I read, and it's basically said that he was moving way too fast for, uh, like, someone to be running. So I don't know what they're implying if they're saying he was chasing her but then also that he was moving way too fast that sounds like he was in a um like a vehicle or i guess a bike maybe i don't know but yeah um, it's confusing it's weird if you were running if you were running around your house like your phone wouldn't ping differently really wouldn't like i thought phone pinging to towers was like traveling miles and stuff like if i'm running around my house my phone's gonna ping to the same tower yeah, it's I weird. I don't know. I couldn't quite figure it out when I was reading about it. And apparently I read that he never told them the chipmunk story till like months and months after she went missing. So he added that in later, but it's just a weird kind of... Um, Maybe they meant like his phone's GPS, because like my phone GPS like can totally track when I'm walking, driving, whatever. Yeah, like I know on Google it's like you are now running or, you know, like when yeah. you, look at your, you know, your movement. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't if you know. go to your maps history. Yeah. Who knows? Court also heard testimony that Suzanne's Facebook codes were reset later that night and her account friend requested 23 of her old friends, 20 of them being men. And Barry denied that he was the one to do this. Another thing I'd like to know more about, because, like, how did he know 23 of her old friends? Or maybe he went to some, I don't know, school Facebook page or something, but it's weird. And also, like, why? Like, what is that proving? I'm assuming he maybe suspected she was having an affair with an old friend for whatever reason, but it just that's a weird little tidbit, I reckon. Yeah. Mm. 
So police also looked into Jeff's movements, obviously, and they confirmed that he was in Michigan. So I guess that clears him. him. Yeah. Um, Barry was also looking for other women to date. And this gives a call back to our (laughs) episode on Josh Duggar. Because if you thought Ashley Madison wasn't a thing anymore, apparently it is. And Barry went on to Ashley Madison to search for, quote, cute girls in the Salida area. He also texted Suzanne about suicidal thoughts two days before she was reported missing. And that was really all the highlights from that hearing. The next one or two are going to be August 23rd and 24th. So we'll do another little update after that. And like I said, I'll um, post the link to the podcast that we did about her in our Instagram or Facebook pages or whatever when this episode comes out. I'd like to know more, which hopefully we'll learn at at the end of the month about, I don't know if they will say it before the trial, but how he allegedly killed Suzanne, because I know that they're saying there's no blood in the house. So it sounds like she must have been dismembered because where, what else, maybe maybe he was just dumping evidence, I guess, during his five trash runs, but it'd be interesting to know like, I don't know. And, and I know that, we, like, earlier we knew that he smelled he, he smelled of chlorine or whatever, so maybe he did something to her body that way, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah, at first I was thinking, like, oh, he probably smothered her or strangled her, but then it's like, what is he cleaning up? Yeah, and why, yeah, like, I, I guess, like, what evidence would there be? I guess, I don't know. It could be anything, really. I'd just like to know more about it. Um, all right, so your turn. <laughs> So the main case we're going to cover today is something a little bit different than what we've usually done. It's an older one, but I've just always found this one so fascinating. I actually put, I read a blog about it like years ago and it's been on as as a bookmark on my phone homepage forever, just because I find it so fascinating that every now and then I go back and read about it because I'm just like, what is going on here? So It's very mysterious. It's so mysterious. It's almost like a Jane Doe case in a way, except not. (laughs) Like there's so many unanswered questions that's like the same. If if you ever saw this as a movie, you'd be like, this is bullshit. <laughs> it's so, like, like, this would never happen. Or how could this ever happen? Yeah. Um, so it's a, I thought we'd do it just for something a bit different. And I, I think a lot of people probably wouldn't have heard about it. So I thought, why not? I didn't know it different. before, before hmm. you brought it up. I've never really heard of it before. And then I read about it. And I was like, this is fucking insane. So the case we're going to speak about today is the disappearance and death of Judy Smith. So Judy was born Judith Eldridge on December 15, 1946 in Hyannis, Massachusetts. When this all happened back in 1997, she was 50 years old. She'd been working as a home health nurse in Newton, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, which is near Boston or in Boston. There are some really good blogs, like I said, um, so I'll make sure I link them all. Make sure you check them all out because some of them have tons and tons of information, which we won't be able to get into today. So check them out. Uh, Judy had been married twice before this all happened. Her first marriage ended when her husband ran away to Sweden to avoid being drafted in the Vietnam War. And I don't really know much about her second husband other than she ended up having two kids with him. Their names were Craig and Amy. Judy met her third husband, Jeffrey Smith, in 1986 when she'd been caring for his father as a nurse. They'd both been married before, so they weren't really in a rush to get married, and they ended up dating for 10 years and finally got married in 1996. Jeffrey has said in interviews that Judy was very devoted to her work as a nurse. One day she'd come up with the idea to use a window curtain rod to hold an IV bag that his father needed dripped into him because there wasn't a proper holder. So she seems like she was a very kind, caring, innovative person maybe. Mm -hmm. 
Jeffrey worked as an attorney and in April 1997, he'd been due to speak at a conference at the Northeast Pharmaceutical Conference in the Doubletree Hotel in Philadelphia. Judy and Jeffrey had planned to go together um, and they were going, they planned then to head on to New Jersey after the conference to see some friends. Judy loved traveling from everything I read and she had never been to Philadelphia, so she was really excited. Their trip began on April 9, 1997, and the couple arrived at Logan Airport in Boston for a 1.30 p.m. flight to Philadelphia. When they got there, Judy realized that she'd left her ID, her driver's license, at home and that she wouldn't be allowed to get on the plane. This is They had new FAA regulations at the time, and this meant that their identities had to be verified before they could get on the plane. Jeffrey had to go on that flight as he had been booked to speak at the conference that same day. So he got on the plane and Judy went home to get her ID. Um, and she planned to take a later flight that night. Some relatives said that the two took public transport to get to the airport, and Judy apparently took the bus back home to get her ID, and I'm assuming she took the bus back then to the airport again. So a lot of back and forth for her that day. A lot of, if this was uh, happening in 2020, she'd be on tons of cameras. (laughs) And she could probably just have a license on a phone, so. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah. So anyway, Jeffrey said that Judy took a 7.30 p.m. flight that same day and she was so upset about how she'd messed up their travel plans that she bought him flowers. They had room service at the hotel and they got ready for the next full day. So April 10 was the next day and that was the day that would change their lives forever. Jeffrey woke up before Judy and he went downstairs for breakfast at the hotel. When he came back up, Judy was in the shower getting ready for the day. He suggested she try the complimentary breakfast and she joked about heading down just as she was, naked and dripping wet. They planned that Judy would explore the city while Jeffrey was at the conference and that they would both meet back at the hotel room at 5pm because they were expected to attend a cocktail party at 6pm at the hotel. So Jeffrey left and went downstairs for the conference and we don't really know what Judy did for the rest of the day. We'll get into a little bit of, you know, kind of investigation about what happened, but we don't know her actual itinerary or what she totally had planned. Jeffrey arrived back at 5 p.m. as planned and was surprised that Judy wasn't there. He assumed she was running late and that she was she and that he would get ready for the cocktail party. During the evening, he went between the event and the hotel room to check if she was back. He spoke to the Philadelphia City paper and he said, I was a little concerned, but I thought maybe we mixed signals and that she was supposed to proceed and that she thought she was supposed to proceed to the cocktail party. So I went down to the room where the party was and I kind of floated back and forth between the room and our room for the next half or three quarters of an hour. But when she didn't show up, he began to panic. He knew that Judy had planned to take, I think it's a flash, P-H-L-A-S-H, to a bus around the city that day, flash. He flagged down a cab and asked the driver to take him on the bus route um, just in case he could find Judy anywhere. You know, maybe she'd been injured or was lost or whatever, but he couldn't find her. He also went to the police station that night around midnight to report her missing. They apparently told him it was too soon to file a report and that if she did not show up that night, he should come back the next day and try again to file one. Jeffrey noticed that only one of Judy's outfits seemed to be missing from their room. It was the same one that she'd worn on the plane the day before. Her kids have said that it would not be unusual for Judy to wear the same outfit two days in a row while traveling. Jeffrey called Judy's children back home to see if they'd heard from her, and they had not. And I also, I've seen some reports that he called his daughter, and then other reports I've seen said that he called the stepdaughter. So either way, one of their children, he asked to go back home to go to their house to see if Judy had left a message on their home answering machine, but there was nothing there. 
the Philadelphia Mayor Ed Rendell and Philadelphia House Representative John Purzell were both attending the same conference as Jeffrey. And when they found out that Judy was missing, they got things moving more quickly. Uh, police suddenly became very cooperative and Jeffrey was able to <laughs> file a report, which is, you know, not unexpected, is it? When you've got friends in high places. Yep, lucky him. <laughs> There were some reported sightings of Judy around the time at, around the city at the time she went missing. Some people reported seeing a woman who was disoriented, but this might be a little bit confusing because there was also a homeless lady who lived in the Penn Landing area, and she resembled Judy very closely. Judy's fa- uh, children flew in very quickly to help with the search, and her son Craig actually saw this homeless woman during the search, and he initially thought it was Judy. So it's hard to know if all the sightings were really of Judy or of this other person like what are the friggin chances like when you see her photo she's kind of a bit nondescript like she just looks like a middle-aged woman like you know there's nothing really super identifying about her so I guess it's not that crazy but to have someone who so closely resembles you maybe it is yeah um (laughs) Judy was said to have traveled with a red backpack instead of a handbag and some of the sightings did say that the woman had a red bag so maybe it was her again no cctv or no access to any cctv there was so we will never know if it was really her um judy's children searched long and hard around the city they went to hospitals morgues and they even rented bicycles so they could get places quickly without encountering any traffic if they had a lead there was a homeless man named david and he provided a possible clue he said that he'd slept on a park bench next to judy he also knew the other homeless woman that we spoke about, and he said that this woman was definitely not that woman. <laughs> Judy's family went back to re-interview David on April 15, and he told them that he had just missed, they had all just missed Judy. Jeffrey believes that this sighting is credible, as David identified Judy by an actual photo of her, whatever that means. So I know that we've read something, and it says that he picked out Judy from a collection of photos, but... It's not very clear. No, and it's not very... You know, I wouldn't say that that means it's a credible sighting. You know, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it was. Mm. Who knows? Anyway, so there were some other unusual reported sightings. Employees at the Society Hill Hotel believe that Judy was their, quote, weirdo of the week when she stayed there between April 13 and 15, signing in as HK Rich Collins. Now, this is unusual. While there, she masturbated in front of an open window, spoke to herself in tongues, and then loudly claimed the emperor would wire her money when she needed it to extend her stay. Um, the nearby best, this is from Reddit, this next piece of information. The next nearby best Western hotel had a similar situation. Their concierge, Tyrone Taylor, remembered that on the 15th, so that would be the day that she checked out of the other hotel, a woman matching this description entered the hotel to use the phone. She was speaking loudly and said that the Emperor of China was going to pay for her stay as she did not have the cash to pay for a night at the hotel. Taylor said that the woman was well-dressed and did not appear to be a transient. Both hotel employees reported that the woman was a heavy-set blonde in her 50s, wearing heavy dark makeup, eyeglasses with tape on the side, and nice clothes. She also had an expensive-looking scarf with camels and roses on it. The woman who signed in as HK Rich and Collins did not have any luggage with her and was wearing very different clothes than Judy was last seen in. When uh, Tyrone Taylor called the police to report his sighting, he gave the guest a call, I'm assuming she left her phone number, and told her that she could have a free night at the hotel. She arrived, but the police decided that the woman was not Judy and so that the hotel sightings were apparently nothing more than a red herring. Um, Weird, like, again, 
if if this was Judy, I know that we're getting to it later, but basically she had a certain amount of cash and she was, we're getting to it. But it doesn't seem like there was any way for her to pay for the Society Hill Hotel if it was her without Jeffrey knowing. Yeah, but also, like, I don't, she's not blonde. So, like, I don't know why they would think that this woman was her. I mean, I guess. She kind of looks like she's got dirty blonde hair. Like, let me just grab that. Yeah, I guess. Maybe I'm just looking at, like, a crappy photo. Yeah, she does. Like, it looks like it's like a, 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 yeah, look, I'll send you this photo. It's not blonde, but, like, it could be considered. Like, someone could describe it as blonde. Like, it'd be, like, dark blonde hair or light brown hair. Like a man would um, describe her hair as blonde. Yeah, yeah, someone who didn't know would describe her hair as blonde. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the picture I'm looking at. But for some reason, to me, it just, like, seems more brunette. Mm. I feel like a guy could say she had blonde hair. And I guess, you know, yeah, maybe that's not the most recent photo of her or whatever. It's the one they seem to use everywhere, but yeah. Yeah, because she has the backpack. The investigators began to narrow down and confirm some of Judy's movements during the day she disappeared. They determined that she did, in fact, get on the flash bus. A hotel employee at the Doubletree where she'd been staying said Judy asked them where she could catch the bus from. A bus driver said he picked her up at Front and South Streets and let her off near the hotel around 3 p.m., One receptionist from the hotel said that on April 9, between 9 and 10, she also saw Judy arrive at the hotel and greet her husband in the lobby. She said that Jeffrey gave Judy flowers, which is kind of the opposite to what we've read before, but either way, they exchanged exchanged flowers (laughs) and the two appeared to be apologising to each other. So maybe they'd had a fight when Judy forgot her ID and he was pissed off or whatever. So anyway, they seemed happy to see each other anyway. She was also allegedly seen near a Greyhound bus terminal on the 10th of April, but her family thinks she may have just been using the bathroom, which is plausible to me. When they started investigating, they uncovered something quite odd. They believe that Judy actually left Philadelphia for New Jersey the day after she was last seen. There were reportive sightings of her at the Deptford Mall shopping for dresses. The mall is only a 15-minute drive from Philadelphia, and there was a bus that ran hourly at the time between the two locations. The people who saw her or whoever was Judy in New Jersey have said that she seemed disoriented. A saleswoman and a customer at Macy's gave an account of actions of a woman who they thought may have been Judy. And the woman had said that she was shopping for her daughter, even though her daughter often disliked what she bought her, which the family said were true. And they also said that she was carrying the distinctive red backpack that she basically had all the time. As the woman left their record, she tried to get a younger woman, who they assumed at the time was the woman's daughter, to leave with her. One other report says that Judy asked another customer in the store about menopause, which seems something like you wouldn't just bring that up if you're in your right frame of mind. Imagine just going up to a stranger and asking about their reproductive system and their (laughs) female issues. Yeah, kind of random. So there were also some other reports that she'd been seen in Easton, which is 55 miles or 89 kilometres north of Philadelphia, a few days after she went missing. Jeffrey hired a private investigator, and this investigator found a man who told Jeffrey that he had been leaving a Wawa. Is that how you say it? Wawa? Yeah, Wawa. Wawa. <laughs> Such a weird name. It's like a, <laughs> it's a gas station chain. That's what? But it, No, it's like a... It's like oh. a gas station, but it's like a good gas station that's kind of like a deli and it has like really good food. There's none in New York and it's really disappointing. But when I travel south, I go I've to seen them. people talk about it on Instagram. I always just assumed it was a supermarket chain. It like could, it's like a supermarket gas station combined. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> the PO found a man who told Jeffrey he'd been leaving a Wawa near Rittenhouse Square on his way to work at 6 a.m. 
when he saw a well-dressed white woman sitting outside a nearby gourmet grocery store and he found it unusual for that time of the day, I guess. Later, he saw a newspaper article on Judy's case and he said that the woman looked a lot like Judy. Judy's family stayed in Philadelphia for weeks looking for her. They put up posters in an effort to get, you know, her face out there, but they had to return home without her eventually. Jeffrey ended up scaling back his law practice to focus on the search for Judy. The uh, the reason that he gave for this was that a good portion of his work was criminal defense work. And in his words, now I feel that I'm a victim. I couldn't in good conscience continue to represent criminal defendants. So fair Mm. enough, I guess. (laughs) Jeffrey criticized how law enforcement handled his wife's case. He said that he told them that he was told that her details had been entered into NCIC, which is the National Crime Info Center database, but he discovered that this actually hadn't happened. And this meant that there was kind of a period that Judy would not have been matched with any Jane Doe's that were entered into that system since she went missing. So that's a bit shitty. Yeah. But not shocking. No. Um, Some theories suggest that Judy never made it to Philadelphia and that Jeffrey did something into her home and then he got on the plane to kind of try and cover it up and, you know, the hotel at the time didn't have a guest register and only one employee has said they saw Judy at the hotel, which is the one we spoke about earlier who said she saw them with the flowers. The investigators learned, though, that the plane tickets had been used and based on the FAA requirements to kind of verify your ID, it does appear that Judy was the one to fly out to Philadelphia on the 7.30pm flight. Police also have a luggage tag from Judy's suitcase that showed she took that flight and that her bag did not travel to Philadelphia with Jeffrey earlier that day. Some suggested that Jeffrey should take a polygraph. He said that he would as long as the FBI administered and when he passed it, then he wanted the Philadelphia PD to request the FBI to assist in the case. The police claim that Jeffrey was an attorney and he would know that the FBI would not get involved in a case, so his conditions were the same as a refusal, basically, in their opinion. Which, But I feel like as a criminal defense lawyer, like, I feel like their advice to people is, even if you're innocent, I'm just thinking of Mike Jones, who would always say shit like this, <laughs> even if you're innocent, never take a lie detector test and never talk to the police without a lawyer. I know that a lot of the polygraphs are kind of based on your heart rate and, you know, all that, and we'll get into it soon, but Jeffrey was, and I, these aren't my words, these are the words of others online, that he was morbidly obese. Like, he was a big man. Yeah. So I have no doubt that he, maybe he had high blood pressure or a you know, something heart-related going on. So maybe his health conditions also wouldn't have led to the most ideal conditions for a polygraph. Yeah. Uh, So the search for Judy went on for months and months. Jeffrey hired two other private investigators and copies of Judy's missing flyer were sent to hospitals and morgues all over the country. So they kept searching and then on September 7, 1997, which was five months after Judy disappeared, a father and son were out hiking in North Carolina's Mount Pisgah National Forest. The forest is in the Appalachian Mountains and it covers over 500,000 acres. I had a look for some photos. It's a big place. Like it looks quite hilly. I don't know if you call it mountainous, but hilly, you know, very rugged terrain in places and things like that. So it's... I would call it mountainous. Yeah, it's quite... looks like it's very remote um, you know, obviously parts of it are quite remote if it's 500,000 acres. So it's not, it's not the Australian bush, but it looks pretty <laughs> It looks rough. almost similar to the Russell Clay and Carol, Russell and Carol. <laughs> anyway. It does look bush-like. <laughs> um, the pair stumbled across what they thought to be human bones near the Stony Fork picnic area in the park. And this area of the park was around 30 miles from Asheville, North Carolina. 
Some of the bones had been scattered by animals in an area of around 300 feet. The bones that did remain had been found wrapped in a blue blanket in a shallow grave, and they also found some personal effects with the bones. The state medical examiner determined that the bones belonged to a white woman between the ages of 40 and 55. She'd had extensive extensive dental work and suffered from severe arthritis in her left knee. There were cutting marks on her ribs, and amongst the clothing recovered from the scene was her bra, which also had cuts and punctures. So that tells us that she was probably stabbed at some point, I guess. Animal hair, which I've seen kind of in other reports that it said it was horse hair, was also found on the clothing at the scene. The investigation concluded that she'd been fatally stabbed and her death was classed as a homicide. There was an emergency room physician in Franklin, North Carolina, which is 65 miles west of Asheville. They saw an article about the discovery of the bones in a newspaper. He thankfully connected it to one of the flyers Jeffrey had sent out, you know, to the hospitals and the morgues, and he faxed a copy of the article to the Philadelphia police. A detective asked for Jeffrey's, asked for Judy's dental records, and he sent them to them. And then they, they were they were then sent to the medical examiner in Asheville. It's so much work. Like these days, I feel like there's usually a database where they put all this in, so it doesn't need to go from one person to the next to the next. Yeah. The records matched the dental work on the bones discovered earlier in the month, and by the end of September, so quite a quick turnaround, the remains were positively identified as Judy Smith. I saw people um, on Reddit saying, like, while I was reading out there, like, well, like, I guess there's, like, a theory that, like, it's not her body, which I think is mm-hmm. dumb, and, like, other people on Reddit thought also told these people that it was dumb because they're like, well, they didn't test for her DNA. Why wouldn't they test for her <laughs> DNA? If your dental records match, they literally, like, lay it over your teeth, <laughs> the x-ray, and, like, whatever, and they see that they're exactly the there's same. There's no need for DNA. Yeah. yeah, and, like, doing DNA tests, especially, like, I don't know how it was back then. I'm sure not the same now, but it's, like, expensive to do yeah. that. And then I think they also ended up um, confirming that it was, like, her wedding ring, too. So it's, like, it was fucking her. There's no, no, yeah, no doubt it's her in my mind anyway. So if you see that theory, I think it's bullshit. <laughs> so what the fuck is going on? How did Judy get from Philadelphia to a forest in Asheville, which is around 600 miles or a nine-hour drive away? So it's just this is, like, the most unexpected ending, I, I think, to this. Anyway. I know. Judy had apparently been wearing jeans, thermal underwear, and hiking boots uh, when she died. So this is what she was found in, not what she was wearing when she was in Philadelphia. And her family didn't recognize any of this clothing. A blue and black vinyl pack, pack a blue and black vinyl backpack was found with the body. In it were winter clothes. <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> in it were winter clothes and eighty dollars in cash. <clears throat> there was a shirt buried nearby and that had eighty-seven dollars in the pockets. So that leads to a total of $167. <clears throat> Jeffrey believed that when Judy left the hotel, she had $200 on her. So that seems, you know, pretty consistent with the amount of money that she probably would have had on her at the time. She was also mm-hmm. found to still be wearing her wedding ring. The police, the fact that they found both money and jewellery led them to think that this, the motive for her murder was not robbery. You know, there was valuables and cash there and no one took it. It makes me wonder how long she was dead for. Like, how quickly did she get down there like you know what i mean like how long was she alive that she went from pennsylvania to north carolina but like her remains were skeletal i'm assuming and why did she have winter clothes like yeah because april i'm assuming it would be getting cool in april but you know i don't know maybe it's cooler where she was like i feel like she could have only been alive for a couple like a week or two maybe i would think so would be my guess 
However, her signature red backpack was not found, nor were the other clothes that she was wearing in Philadelphia. Judy's parents also said that an expensive pair of Bollet sunglasses found in the bones were not hers as far as they knew. After her body was discovered, several people in Asheville have said they remember speaking to Judy, but they couldn't really confirm them. Again, I guess no CCTV, no all that stuff. A clerk at a local retailer said, she seemed very alert to me. She was very pleasant. I didn't see anything that would indicate that she wasn't right in any way. The woman said that her husband was an attorney in Boston attending a conference in Philadelphia. And during that time, she had decided to go to the Asheville area. If this is true, that's I, you think that has to be Judy. What are the odds of there being another person in that vicinity at that time with that same story? Yeah. You know, but maybe maybe she, yeah, maybe she made it up for attention or something. I'm not saying that she did, but if she didn't, that's a pretty you know. Yeah, well, she could have just like heard yeah. it on the news and like inserted herself, but it's like you never know. Maybe she is telling the truth, but maybe she's lying. So, an employee at the Biltmore Estate also said they saw Judy at a campground near where her body was found. The owner recalled seeing her drive up in a grey sedan filled with boxes and bags and asked if she could spend the night there in her car. They told her that she couldn't and she drove away. A deli owner in the same area told the Philadelphia City Paper that Judy came to her store in a grey sedan, so there's, you know, two grey sedan sightings and bought $30 worth of sandwiches, which seems like a lot, and a toy truck. Local investigators consider these sightings credible. Um, Another hotel clerk said that Judy stayed, I couldn't see what that hotel was, but at this hotel from April 10 to 12. So this is the day that she would have gone missing is April 10. Mm -hmm. It's weird. Like that would be a very quick journey if 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 this sighting was Judy. So anyway. Yeah, I mean, like, it's possible. Like, I drive to North Carolina a day, mm. but it'd still be kind of crazy. And that nothing was amiss. So, you know, if, if this was, if, if all these sightings were Judy, did she have time in the morning to buy a grey sedan in Philadelphia or get a grey sedan? Like, it just seems like it's a lot to happen in no. you know, under a day. But you were, like, now that you said it, like, how she just kind of, she just has that look. I could think of, like, some of my old friends' yeah. moms, like, in high school. She looks like at least, like, three yeah. of them. Yeah, like, she just looks like <laughs> if you saw her walking down the street, you just think, you wouldn't think twice. Yeah. Um, Judy's family have said they have no idea how she ended up in Asheville or why. She'd been to North Carolina twice before, but never to the area where she was found. Once she'd been with Jeffrey for a week when he was at a weight loss clinic, and on another occasion, she had accompanied a patient on a drive south as he visited family. They either lived closer in North Carolina to Asheville or in a neighboring city of Virginia or Tennessee. The family can't quite remember. Um, when she was found deceased, Judy still had most of the money. And if you add in that $30 for sandwiches, if that is true, that would bring you basically to the $200 that she had. So she still had most of the money she took from Philadelphia. None of her bank cards or her phone cards had been used. Um, so if the sightings with the car, were her where did she get a car with no money without using a credit card even things like gas like where to get 600 miles you'd need to get gas it makes me think like i'll talk about more once we finish the story but that like she must have met someone like that must have been someone else's car yeah it's weird that no one has ever not that i've seen anyway that anyone has ever reported seeing her with someone else but i do agree that there must be someone else who was either given her money or maybe she had another stash of money that jeffrey didn't know about i guess that could be plausible but so i feel like she didn't just have enough money to like buy a car and fill it with crap Mm. yeah and boxes and and like why is she buying like that mm. toy like did this person have like a kid and obviously if it is another person's car it's probably whoever killed her so they're not gonna come forward so 
at the time of this recording, we're at August 2021, nobody has ever been arrested for the murder of Judy Smith. So there are some really good theories or interesting varying theories in this. Um, The first one is that maybe she had a medical condition. I did find it interesting that um, Judy, Jeffrey, sorry, Jeffrey, Judy, Jeffrey, Jeffrey thought Judy might be confused when she was in Philadelphia. Like, why would he think that? That wouldn't be my initial reaction if you couldn't find someone who was in good health if that makes sense like maybe she had some underlying things going on that we don't know about would she be confused enough not to remember the name of the hotel to call you know he said can you go and check the home answering machine why would she call home instead of the hotel um yeah you know why again why did she buy a toy truck was she under some i don't know delusion you know like was there something basically was there something mentally going on with her that might have caused her to go missing. Yeah, I mean, I think they've said, you know, the family has said no, but I feel like even, I I said this before in the episode we did about, um, what's his name, was it Terrence, the guy who Terrence ran woods, off into the yeah. woods? It seemed like he kind of had like a mental break, but the family were like, absolutely not, he was never depressed, he was never this, never anything. I feel like sometimes, or people tend to hide if they're like struggling at all, or like the family just doesn't want to like, you know, they put their business out there like that. Even things like her to forget her license, which I know, you know, lots of people forget the passport and license and all that, but maybe that is also an indicator of something, you know, maybe a, I'm not saying it was dementia, but maybe something along those lines. Oh, I was thinking maybe she forgot it on purpose. Cause like, how do you forget your ID when you're going to travel? Like I get it was a new thing, but it's like, I bring my fucking ID everywhere. What if you want to have a drink? Mate- I mean, I guess she doesn't need it. You're her age. You don't need to. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe it was a ruse for her to be able to go home and get her stuff, her extra things, so that Jeffrey didn't, you know, know about it. Maybe, maybe she had a plan. But we'll, we'll get to that theory. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the amnesia? Yeah. So, in regards to, well, this theory topic will be a medical condition, <laughs> as we were just saying. I was reading some comments on, there's like a really big Reddit post about this that like has been nominated for some like Reddit awards last year. So we'll link that because there's some some good discussion on it. Um, someone commented and said, amnesia is one possible explanation for Judy's disappearance. The family believes that Judy was injured or otherwise suffered a bout of dissociative amnesia which caused her to become confused or forget her identity this is supported by sightings of a confused or disoriented woman in philadelphia that looked like judy the family believes this explains why judy traveled to pisgah national forest apparently of her own free will another person said uh one theory that jeffrey explored was that judy was suffering from mental illness and had a psychotic break Being a lawyer, Jeffrey was able to do some legal maneuvering to obtain all of Judy's medical records from her adult life, including a physical she had only months beforehand. Um, There was no indication that Judy had ever had any mental health concerns. Neither she or her doctors ever mentioned anything that would have pointed to any mental health problems, even minor ones such as anxiety. According to Jeffrey, Judy's newest physical reported that Judy was in good health and good physical health. Good mental health and good physical health. And then another person said, um, back to the amnesia, I think transient global amnesia is more likely. I have a relative who suffers from this and has had two attacks, both linked to travel. The condition is related to migraines, and fortunately, because my relative wasn't alone at the time, that we were able to get her help. First time it happened was a few years ago when she was visiting my cousin. As soon as she got off the plane, she said the jet lag was bothering her and she wanted to nap. 
She woke up an hour later with no memory of her flight, how she got there, or where she was. She continued to ask the same questions over and over. It was really weird. If Judy had one of these while she was alone, any evil person could have taken advantage of her. So then I looked up um, transient global amnesia just to see a little bit more about it. And it says on Wikipedia, great source. Transient global amnesia is a neurological disorder whose key defining characteristic is temporary but almost total disruption of short-term memory, with a range of problems accessing older memories. A person in a state of TGA exhibits no other signs of impaired cognitive functions, but recalls only the last few moments of consciousness, as well as possibly a few deeply encoded facts of the individual's past, such as their childhood family or home, perhaps, which seems kind of plausible. But I guess that, cut that part out, but I guess that the transient global amnesia only lasts like a short amount of time, which is why it's hard to study. Like it literally lasts like a day or something. Like Then maybe maybe she didn't survive. Like maybe let's just say it lasted for a few days for her. She might have been dead yeah. in that time anyway. I would love to know if, her, if she had any ties at all to that area. Like it just seems like a random place to pick to go. Yeah. Like, I just want to know how quickly she got down there. I feel there. like you can't like – you can't go to a place unless you know about it, even if you have amnesia and things. There, yeah. there must have been some reason or trigger for her to go there. Yeah, it's weird. Um, there's also post-traumatic amnesia, and that's, like, after you get a TBI, which I thought maybe somehow, like, maybe she went home to get her stuff, maybe she, like, hit her head somehow. No one would really know. Um, so maybe that triggered some sort of... Because it says post-traumatic amnesia is a state of confusion that occurs immediately following a traumatic brain injury in which the injured person is disoriented and unable to remember events that occur after the injury. It seemed all right. Like when, when Jeffrey says, you know, she was in the shower and she made a joke about going down to breakfast. That's what I was thinking. Like she, he hasn't said that there was any weird behavior going on. Yeah. So I guess it probably couldn't really be that one. But like the other one, the transient global amnesia seems to just like randomly happen. It could be post-traumatic if something happened when she was on the bus. Like maybe she got on the bus and got off and fell and hit her head. Like Or after he left for the conference. My grandma passed away years ago and how she eventually passed was she fell getting out of a car while going to the doctor. Like she was old. She was in her 80s. But um and hit her head on the like the gutter, the pave, the sidewalk, and so she had a brain bleed, and then she ended mm-hmm. up passing away, you know, a week or so later. So maybe it could have been something like that happened during the actual day that she was sightseeing around Philadelphia. Yeah, that's true. Which, yeah, I mean, it seems plausible. Mm, maybe no, no less plausible than any of these other theories. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's literally they're all just hmm, maybe <laughs> another like medical condition. One I saw people saying was related to how she apparently could have just started talking to some random person at the store about menopause. Someone said one possible explanation for seeming disoriented. If it was really her asking another customer about menopause, when my mother went through menopause, she suffered a total psychotic breakdown and was later diagnosed with schizophrenia. She had no prior Mm. mental illness. So while that's probably rare, it is possible. Mm. So then this comes from not this comment, but there was another one. I just didn't really have a lot of information, so I didn't keep it. But some people were talking about, like, you know, maybe it's early onset dementia or um, Alzheimer's or things like that. But then someone commented that said that they're, like, a psychologist who works a lot with people with Alzheimer's and dementia. And he didn't think it would be that because unless because the family was saying, like, she had no problems or something. Like, he said if it was something like that, there'd be more like a gradual onset and it wouldn't just be so sudden. And he suggested that it could actually be a stroke. 
So then this other person commented and agreed that it could be a stroke, and they said, Working in healthcare, and let me start by saying, I've only witnessed this twice in 22 years, a stroke could also be a likely cause. Not all strokes result in paralysis of one side of the body, depending on the area of the brain affected by ischemia. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. <laughs> there could be personality changes as well. Her age would be appropriate, and if she had any underlying medical issues, this could be possible, although not necessarily probable, cause for her sudden deteriora- deterioration in grandiose actions. Um, so then the next theory would be, did Jeffrey harm Judy to, and then try to like cover it up? Like, is Jeffrey involved somehow? So I don't, I don't think this is really a super plausible theory. You know, did Jeffrey harm Judy to cover up a murder that happened based, maybe at their home, maybe in Philadelphia? I don't think so. I don't either. Um, like what we mentioned before, that he was morbidly obese. There's photos of him. He's a big guy. He doesn't look the most healthiest you know, I, I don't believe he would have physically been able to carry Judy's body. She also wasn't the smallest person. Like she was, I think we said earlier, she was referred to as heavy set. So I don't think he would have been able to carry her body to where it was found to dump it and then, you know, let alone bury it and all that stuff. I've also read um, other like investigators theories is was that Judy had to have been killed where she died. She wasn't dumped there because it would have just been too hard for anyone to take her there, anyone to take her there to dump, let alone Jeffrey. Apparently her body was on like a steep incline or something. Yeah. But I also feel like it's probably not him. I'm pretty certain it wasn't him because I feel like he really did go through a lot of effort to try to find her. He hired three different private investigators. Like if you're guilty, why are you hiring three private investigators like to catch her damn self? Yeah. Also, I feel like it did kind of like derail his life in a way. Like he was a criminal defense attorney. He stopped doing that. He seems like he was quite um, well known in his industry. Like for him to be in, to ask to be speak at a conference where you know the mayor and everyone was there. Like he seems like he was quite successful. So yeah, then for him to just yeah. throw it all away, you know, I yeah, I I, I feel like this doesn't... is the least plausible theory. Yeah. I agree. Um, there was also a Reddit comment that said they could find no evidence that Jeffrey rented a car in Philadelphia, which means, you know, that basically he couldn't have disposed of her body without a car. Um, he had less than 12 hours to dispose of her body as he was sitting in the lobby of the hotel at 9.30 p.m. and then was moderating the conference at 9.30 a.m. So he definitely couldn't, that definitely wasn't enough time for him to drive to the National Forest in North Carolina to dump the body. And so, back. Yeah, yeah, and back, let alone and back. Yeah, no way. Jeffrey died at age 59 in 2005, and I found his obituary online. I'll read it out. So it says, age 59 of Newton, died January 25th, 2005, and that lists all the people. And then it says, beloved husband of the late Judith Bradford and former husband of Beverly Smith. So I guess that was his other. (laughs) Distinguished attorney and educator dedicated to the improvement and teaching of pharmaceutical and healthcare. So yeah, so anyway, Judy did get a mention in his obituary as, you know, beloved husband. So that's... You know, I feel, I feel like he really did love her. I don't think that he had anything to do with it. Yeah, I don't think so either. There was, and like I mentioned too, there was an investigator called Sam Constance um, who was on the case, and he, I'm assuming it's a he, he believed that Judy came across her murderer while hiking and that prior she had travelled to the Asheville area voluntarily. After that, so then some have insinuated that Judy may have even planned to disappear for a while or perhaps even permanently. While Jeffrey and her children did not say there had been any problems in their marriage, one of her friends said otherwise. They said at the time this happened, Jeff and Judy's marriage was very tenuous. 
um, Carolyn Dickey told Unsolved Mysteries in 2001. I believe that something did happen that triggered her to want to have some time away from Jeff. And then there's this a Reddit comment just kind of talking about how she liked to travel and stuff. And I feel like that could kind of tie into stuff because, I don't know, I go back and forth. Part of me is probably leaning towards more like a medical condition, amnesia type thing. But then part of me, like the more probably didn't happen, but would be interesting and crazy if it happened, is that like she forgot her ID on purpose because she was planning to run away and start a new life or whatever. And I just, anyways, this comment says (laughs) that she was like a very competent person. Um, So this comment says, according to friends and family, Judy was a rather assertive and independent person. She was no stranger to traveling alone. Judy had been to Europe on her own a few times, and when her children were preteens, she took them to Europe for a backpacking adventure. Judy also independently traveled to Thailand, where she she went hiking and visited friends. While Judy wasn't the epitome of (laughs) fitness, she was an active person who enjoyed walking, hiking, and sightseeing. She was also known to be a go-getter who once helped an AIDS patient who was having a medical crisis on a plane. While Judy was a kind-hearted and considerate person, she wasn't thought to be naive and was able to take care of herself in a variety of different situations. All of that so I feel like makes it even a little bit harder for me to believe, too, that she left her license. Um, yeah. Like, like, either without having a medical condition, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there must have been something going on for her to be that kind of um, Like, she either did able. it on purpose. Yeah. Or, or like there something was something weird medically was going happening. on. Yeah. Yeah. So the last kind of theory that we'll talk about is that Judy somehow cross, crossed paths with the serial killer Gary Michael Hilton. So you might be familiar with him. He's quite a prolific serial killer. He murdered an elderly couple 10 years after Judy's murder. The couple was in the same national forest, Mount Pisgah, and they found the vic- female victim's body, her name was Irene Bryant, was found only a mile from where Judy's remains were found. It was reported that around the time Gary Michael Hilton was living in his white van when he encountered the couple. So he was eventually convicted of several murders on hiking trails in national forests um, in the southern Appalachian Mountains during the 2000s, including the case, case of Meredith Emerson. Uh, he has never been tied to Judy's case. Um, there was also in 2016, which was a couple of miles from Judy's burial site, a lone hike in her 60s was attacked, raped, and left to a tree. Thankfully, the woman was found alive and was taken to hospital. Um, some have wondered if this is connected to whoever killed Judy, but there's no hard evidence of this. I feel like this one is kind of plausible. Like, it could be true. It seems like something that he would do. Um, it also seems like kind of a reach. But it also doesn't explain how she got there. Why? Yeah. You know, like, fair enough if she'd been murdered by him somewhere close to Philadelphia or whatever, but like, it just doesn't. I feel like either she went to meet someone who killed her or she um, just somehow ran across someone while she was hiking there and for whatever reason she'd been hiking. Yeah. So the other, only other thing is I saw there was a website that's been taken down, which I'm not sure why, and there was also a Facebook group, which has also been taken down, um, called Justice for Judy. So I found it on the Wayback Machine, so I'll put some screenshots on the blog. It was actually, it looks like a really well-done website. Maybe they just stopped paying for the domain. Yeah, maybe. So, like, it says things like, Judy was more than capable of asserting herself. Her mother, her daughter had said that her mother was impossible to embarrass. If she didn't like something, she was yelling. (laughs) So... Um, it says, and this is, this is, I think, is a true 
kind of statement. The fact that Judy left a trip she was already on without immediately telling her husband, knowing that she would be missed right away and cause a panic, points to either something coming up suddenly or Judy planning something that she needed to keep very secret. Judy never got the chance to tell her reasons because she trusted the wrong person. Yeah. I would love to have an answer, but Mm -hmm. I feel like we'll never get one. Unless there's some way they can get more DNA eventually and um, I don't know. It just It's one of those things that sucks that happened a while ago. You know, it wasn't that long ago, but did they, they didn't find DNA of the person who did it, I'm assuming. Yeah, well, I haven't heard if they have. You'd think maybe, I don't know, I guess if her remains were so skeletal, maybe not, but. Well, I saw, I don't know if this is true, but I just saw people like saying it on Reddit as usual, but someone said that like, they thought the shirt they had seen that they thought the shirt that she was found in belonged to the killer because it was like a men's shirt and it like wasn't her size yeah and then or well not the shirt she had been found in but the shirt that was found there because obviously she was like skeletal and kind of torn up by animals and then they were also saying that the bole sunglasses i know it's because i used to work at sunglass hut so (laughs) i'm an expert they're basically like a knockoff of oakley they're still like expensive they're at least like a hundred bucks um but they said they were like more masculine sunglasses. So they were wondering if maybe they belonged to whoever the killer was also. And she just kind of had them. But I feel like if that was the case, they could have gotten DNA from the sunglasses because they're on your face and like you sweat and like you get DNA on them. Yeah, I know. It's very strange. And they must still have to have those. Don't they like? Well, you'd hope so. Considering they found that. Remember the last one we spoke about last week about the boy who was lost in the files for 50 years or whatever. Uh, the old case box. <laughs> the old case box. Like, I know they have evidence lockers, but I just don't know how long they, like, keep that stuff forever. I, For me, I think the medical theory is the most plausible one to me. I think so, too. Because even, like, as crazy and as rare as some of those things are, it makes more sense than any of the other ones. The only other thing, like I said, could be plausible then is that she did it on purpose. But I, that just, like such a wild thing to do like to just be like well fuck my life i'm leaving like obviously it's medical medical combined with murder so obviously i don't think she killed herself but um no she ended up there for a medical reason yeah i feel like even if she was like fuck this i'm running away and starting a new life i feel like that's still kind of like a medical condition something happening yeah something going on maybe yeah like you said maybe she lost her mind during menopause or had a knock to the head that you know made her not think clearly it's just like so crazy i'd be so frustrated if i was like her family and kids like you literally have no answers like why did she do this i know it's wild it's not like she was like abducted or like taken against her will it's like she left for some reason it seems I just, I would love, I, I don't know if we ever will, but I'd just love to know more about how she got there. If that was her in the car, how she got the car. Yeah, that's what makes me think maybe she had amnesia or something like that. And was just, because one of them, it was like, you can remember like deeper memories, but you can't remember much else. So that's why when she was talking to that person who said that, she said that her husband was a lawyer, blah, blah, blah. So it's like maybe she remembered that stuff but was still confused on current events and maybe. for some reason felt like she had to go to North Carolina, like something made her think that, and then met or met someone around there who took advantage of her and got her to go to North Carolina. Maybe, yeah. I and know. Like I know sometimes when people have like a brain 
injury or a condition, they sometimes become fixated. So maybe she was just fixated on getting to this place for whatever reason. I don't know. Yeah. We'll probably never know. So hopefully, hopefully one day we will. You never know. Yeah. But I don't know. If they don't even have DNA for the killer. <laughs> Like even if the, the killer gets caught one day for something else, like yeah, wait, wait, yeah, the killer might very well be dead now. Also you know? dead. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll I'll try and get some of these screenshots. So I'm just clicking through this Justice for Judy site. I wish it was still up because it looks like it had a bunch of information, but it's got some pages still that are archived. So I'll put some of them up on the blog um, and check out the blog because there's there's a whole unsold unsolved mysteries episode about Judy that's online on YouTube. So I'll put that up there. Um, just check out you know, if you want to learn more about this case. Yep. And also, if you haven't listened to our episode on Suzanne Morphew, Mm -hmm. listen to that. We'll link that too because we'll have some more updates soon. Probably prior episode, that would be the beginning of September, which is so crazy that it's almost September. If they do, I mean, because, you know, obviously for Suzanne, it's the preliminary hearing to determine if they go to trial, which I'm assuming they probably will based on what we've heard so far, but that would be a good trial. You know, good as in interesting trial. Yeah, so make sure to get caught up on that and follow us on Instagram, our Facebook page. You can join our Facebook group. Our website is truecrimestudy.com. We have a forum where you won't get in trouble for <laughs> saying things like white trash or bitch like you will on Facebook. You can talk about guns. You can talk about COVID if you want. You can talk about anything, just not on Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. as long as you're not like a fucking disgusting, terrible, racist, piece of shit person, you're not going to get in trouble on our forum. So go over there. And, oh, I have one thing I want to say. Someone left us a review saying (laughs) that we're boring and we beg for reviews. Yeah, we do beg for reviews. So go leave us a review that doesn't say we're boring because I am not boring. I find it interesting that that person because we always talk about reviews generally or generally at the end of the episodes they the end. listen to the whole thing and then said here's a review you're boring <laughs> yeah so you know what you're also a liar <laughs> <laughs> thanks trishy lou that was really kind of you <laughs> <laughs> so um this is me begging you for some <laughs> reviews so please go do that yes but yeah i think that that's it that's it i think that's it all right bye see ya